You're listening to Augustus Cho's Fry It Up podcast on the Nana Music Network. Today's Fry It Up with Augustus Cho. My guest is a Southern gentleman and a proud citizen of the Palmetto State, also known as the great state of South Carolina in the city of Rock Hill. Now, for the longest time, South Carolina had the lowest gasoline tax in the Southeast, which meant that it had the lowest state gasoline tax of the Southeast, which I always appreciated followed by the Commonwealth of Virginia. So therefore, every time I went to South Carolina, I filled up, Jim, as you can imagine. But I digress. Back to the point. My guest is an accomplished musician. His instrument at the present time being the valve trombone, which is an essential instrument in balancing out the high-pitched trumpet by providing that mellow tenor tone to add lower intonation of the brass sound. Now, let me tell you, Having a trombone in a beach music band makes a huge difference in the overall sound quality and listening experience. He also plays the first instrument of humans called the voice, which he uses to bring happiness to listeners across the Southeast. Other than the opening song of this podcast, the rest of it on the podcast will be the voice of my guest. Finally, he has the distinction of having played for two bands I enjoy listening to and watch performing, which we will also discuss. With that, we welcome to the Fry It Up podcast, one, Jim's Stoudemire of the Entertainers Band. How are you, Jim? Great. Good seeing you, Augustus. Thanks for having me, man. My pleasure. It's been a while since I've run into you. Yeah. It feels funny because I feel like I know you from somewhere. And maybe it's because it's the film that I made of the North Tower Band or something. I kept seeing your footage in there back and forth. What do you think? Yeah, it could be. could be. <laughs> I, I had a great time working with North Tower as I have all the other bands I've worked with. It's great. Excellent, man. Yeah. Yes. No doubt. And we're going to cover those bands. And I want you to give us some, some juicy inside stories that you can only tell me. You know what I'm saying? And nobody else. <laughs> <laughs> we got you, man. Just me and you. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Now, at the present time, you are playing with a band called Entertainers, and you, yeah. surely, you surely do that. And unlike the last two years, you, your band has been very busy, right, making up for the lost time. Yeah, trying to make up for it, man. It, it, the pandemic slowed everybody down in every, every aspect of life, and uh, we're glad to get back out there and be, be uh, performing and, and bringing our music to the people again. It's really nice. You know, no one saw that coming, that pandemic, because... I guess it was almost two uh, spring ago, two springs ago, right. and we and I was just getting prepared in April, starting planning out my schedule to see all the bands come through, and then bam, it hit us, and then one by one, every venue shut down, and every band started getting canceled. Now, right. how did it impact you guys? Uh, the same way, same way it got everybody. We we were uh, right on the verge of. Uh, getting into our 40th year of, of as a as an organization with the entertainers band and uh right at right at that point was when uh things started going south with the pandemic and everything and everything got kind of put on hold for a little while we're going to try to make up for it in our 42nd 43rd year coming up here very soon 
Yeah, that's. I hope so, and I'm sure you will. But it was a shame that the 40th year anniversary could not have been celebrated by you performing, you know, through that season, which is kind of an right. unfortunate event. But uh, hopefully yeah. you'll have an, uh, another 40th year coming up in the next 38 more years, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> well, I missed you guys. Uh, obviously, I'm a Beach Music fan. And so far this year, this summer, since spring, I've seen you and the entertainers band about seven times. And you can tell yeah. that I'm a fan of entertainers as well as the Beach Music band. Now, And we appreciate it. And you know all about beach music fans, right? Sure, exactly, man. Best in the world. Yeah. And, uh, I think uh, someone mentioned, maybe it was you one time, that you mentioned that beach music fans are sort of like country and western fans. Yes. How yes. so? Well, uh, country country bands seem to have such a big following that they get started, they have a, a good hit or two, and people are just fans for the rest of their lives. And uh, that's kind of how it works with us, too. We've, we've managed to, uh, in our whole circuit, we, we managed to make friends. And even if we end up leaving and going to another band for employment, a lot of those fans follow us right along to our new jobs. And uh, it's, it's so thankful. I'm so thankful for uh, what all those people bring to us. And um, it, it's just such a, a nice arrangement. And uh, we never take it for granted because people could always go do something else. They can go to a movie. They can, go to see another band that can, you know, go out to eat, whatever. We're really thankful every time we look out there and see somebody, every one of those individuals is, uh, has, has really uh, earned a place in our heart and we appreciate it. We're, we're so thankful for each and every one of them. Well, we appreciate t- that too, Jim, because often one of the reasons that I like beach music bands in particular is that all of the a majority of the uh, players and performers are very humble and down to earth. You know, you don't really see, too much ego, you know, uh, them wearing it on their sleeves. And, and that is something that I really appreciate. And the other thing is, whenever I, you know, whenever I see these Beach Mix bands like yours, and I realize, hey, we're getting old together. And that's sure. a journey for us. It's a, it's a good experience. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's always good that people get worried about getting old. Man, I look forward to getting old. I mean, the, the alternative is dying young. <laughs> I'm, I'm too old to die young. I mean... <laughs> And we really look forward to it. We're thankful. Like I say, we, we just uh, value our friends and fans that come to see us so much. Uh, there's, there's, I, I just can't say enough good about them. We just appreciate them so much. Yeah. Uh, I think you and I are in the same generation. And uh, I feel the same way. I feel like getting old is a privilege. Sure. Exactly. Because exactly. the alternative is worse. <laughs> yeah. And, and we're not guaranteed anything beyond right now. You know, this is all we've got. You know, uh, we can always prepare for the future, but we're not ever guaranteed a future. You know, I, I must say, I like, I must say, I like a, a performer with a philosophy of life behind that. Head. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we probably all have some type of philosophy, just some people aren't as uh, free to, to uh, share it with everyone. Uh, I've never really worried so much because I, I, you know, I feel like what I like and what I want and, what I want for everyone else is good for all of us. So I, I, I don't uh, question my thoughts or anything on that. I, I'm just appreciative to get to do what I enjoy, and I've done it for a long time now, and uh, hopefully I'll get to do it for a much longer time. Me too. Me too. I definitely. Yeah. And I do appreciate your uh, life outlook as a yeah. fellow Thank human you. being. Thank you. Yon, being an uh, excellent performer. Speaking of performing, now, now you started playing the trumpet – in what grade? 
Uh, started in sixth grade. Yeah, um, that was a, about a common age back then, I believe, for um, how they started, uh, you know, school musicians in, in school. And, and it may have changed a little bit now, but the, the main tenets of it are the same. It's uh, get in there and learn. And, and if you really like it, you can apply it to something else in your life as you grow older. And that's what I've always done. Uh, I was I was into sports and all when I was young, but, um, you know, I'm, I don't ever regret going into the music business. It's, it's tough. It's um, it's not for everybody, of course, but man, I, I've just really enjoyed it. All that I've done it, done with it. Um, I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for what it's brought to me and my family. And, um, you know, I, I just really appreciate it. And I'm thankful for the career that I've had to this point. Right. Now, when you were, you know, 10, I guess about 12 years old, when you started playing the trumpet, did you ever imagine that you'd be still playing music in the present age? No, no. To be honest with you, when I first started and it was all school music, um, I was just really looking forward to one day being in the marching band. You know, I, I thought that was such a great performance art, uh, getting out on the field and marching. And a lot of bands, uh, marching bands, um, or really hung up on the performance. Our our band director when I was in school was really uh, more about the show. He wanted to make sure we all gave a good show to the people that, you know, they're there for a halftime at a football game, you know, and, and you want to give them something a little different every week. So a lot of bands would have, uh, a lot of high school bands would have um, con uh, contest season our band director didn't really put a whole lot into the contest thing. He was more into just the overall performance, making sure every performance was good and that we brought something new each time. Um, each week, you know, at a football game, we'd do something a little different in the show. A lot of, a lot of schools didn't do that. They would stick with the same show all through the season just so they could stay tight. But uh, I think that helped me with my attitude toward performing at an early age. You know, it, it, it really is like, Every night you have to bring something. Um, there's, there's no reason that people can just sit home and listen to music if you're not really performing for them and entertaining them. You know? So uh, I, I think I kind of picked up on that as an early age. You gotcha. Know? You know, performing something different every week, that's a lot of work. Yeah, that's a lot of work. But, um, you know, it, the, the rewards are great. And um, I'm thankful for it the way that, like I say, the way that I was brought into it and raised and all. I, I'm thankful for all of that. Excellent. Now, uh, why did you select trumpet at the time when you started learning instrument? <laughs> well, I actually wanted to play saxophone. Um, we, my mother and one of my friends' uh, mother took both of us to a, a local school where they had, had set up a music store and set up um, a bunch of used instruments to get kids started on. And we went in and uh, I wanted, I told my mother I wanted to play saxophone. And she was like, well, how much is a saxophone? And I was like, I believe it's $359. <laughs> and she said, well, how much is a trumpet? And I said, $159. She's, oh, well, you're playing trumpet. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, you know, and it, it, the main thing was that I was able to play something. You know, if I'd have started out on sax, I may have ended up switching to a brass instrument anyway. But uh, I was thankful for it. Like I say, um, we had a couple albums at home, had an Al Hurd album or two, and a couple of Herb Alpert to feel on a brass. So I was familiar with trumpet, knew what it was supposed to sound like. And, um, you know, it's just just uh, the difference of getting started on what you may want to start on and what you're pushed to start on. Uh, 
you always have the ability, you know, as a musician to switch and pick up another instrument, you know, uh, music is music, you know, it, it's all different. Every instrument is different, but if you have an affinity for it, I feel like you could probably pick up, you know, any of them per se, for to some extent. Which you have done in the past, and we'll cover that in detail as we go along. Sure, uh, sure. So I guess we could say that you end up playing brass as a destiny <laughs> determined by economics. Yeah, that's, that's how it started anyway. I'm happy that it ended up the way it did at this point. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, just when you're young and, you know, I, you know, I honestly didn't know that much about any of the instruments, you know, so... Uh, less moving parts in a trumpet. So that was a good one to start on. <laughs> I got you, man. Where'd you grow up? I uh, grew up in Columbia, South Carolina. I was uh, born up in a little small town called Prosperity, um, northwest area of, of, uh, of South Carolina. Uh, my grandmother, we lived with my grandmother when I was born. Um, it was my mother and my father, me. Uh, my aunt, my grandmother and grandfather, and my great-grandmother all lived in the same house, uh, which was a house behind my grandmother's store. She ran a little grocery store slash beer joint. And um, you What know, a grandma grew, you got. That's a hell yeah, of a oh, grandma. It was, <laughs> it was a great, great uh, experience, you know, um, because uh, earlier I had mainly just heard church music and stuff. And then by my grandmother running that little beer joint, she had a jukebox in there. It was full of country music and old standard rock tunes and all, uh, you know, Chuck Berry, Little Richard, uh, Bill Haley and the Comets, that kind of stuff. So uh, I had a, a another uh, lean-to for music there. I, I got into a little bit different stuff. And, you know, as I got older, I didn't really care for country that much. I still liked uh, a lot of the harmonies and all with the gospel music and the church music. And, um, but, you know, because of all of us living in that house, um, I had two sisters born three and four years after me, and it had gotten kind of, you know, snug in the house with all of us in there. So my parents bought their own house uh, down in Columbia, which was about 12 miles away. And, um, but since both of my parents worked, they hired a black lady named Ernestine to take care of us. And uh, Ernestine would come in in the mornings and, she was kind of smuggling in her records <laughs> and uh, she had all these records, but she didn't really have a record player at home. So she would bring her records over to our house and uh, she exposed us to all this really great soul music and Motown, Stax Bolt, you know, all that type of R&B. And man, that was a whole new world to me from what I'd been used to. And uh, that's that's where I ended up uh, probably leaning toward that more than anything. And I'll that's still... Some of my favorite music is from the mid fifties to the mid seventies. I just love that old soul and uh, R and B type music. You know, I, I just always have, and I imagine I always will. Oh yeah, and I'm glad you do because we enjoy listening to you guys perform that R and B in that Motown. I mean, we yeah. knew you and I knew Michael Jackson, the Jackson Five, when they were Jackson Five. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, boy, right, exactly. <laughs> and we're talking about some serious music no one can touch. Now, did your grandma uh, ever play any Everly Brothers? Uh, there was some on the jukebox. We oh, had yeah. A bit on there. You know, there, there was all, all pretty much everything that was hot during the day in the uh, late 50s, early mid-60s, oh. all, all up through there. That was kind of the tunes that were on the jukebox, you know. I, so I, I, I love was exposed to all of it, you know. Yeah. I love the Everly Brothers. The brotherly harmony is so exquisite. Oh, yeah. 
And if oh, entertainers yeah. ever want to do Everly Brothers, let me know. I'm going to show up, sit in the front row. There you go. All right. We'll do it. And did she always play, also play a Ray Price? There was Ray Price on the <laughs> Jukebox, too. Yeah, there was, there was all the old classics. Uh, Gene Watson, um, you know, just all the old guys. Uh, Bobby yeah. Bear. Uh, I, I like I like old country. I'm talking about yeah, you know, up to classic. maybe sixties, you know, somewhere, and that's about it. Now it's just so commercialized. I can't really distinguish between pop and uh, you know the new country, you know. And, and it's not. It's a very fine line between it. A lot of it crosses over. Uh, a lot of things that I grew up when I was young, and it was considered rock or you know top forty. It's, it there's similar things in country now that they call country. You know, a lot of the bands back in the 70s, um, Pure Prairie League, the Eagles, oh, yeah. yep. all those type bands, the music that they played then is in a lot of ways more country than what you hear now on country radio. So it's, uh, and music has always been a, a progression and, a, you know, it's always been changing all along. Um, but like I say, certain parts of it stay the same and that's what you can grasp onto and, and, uh, just try to try to you know expand on it from there, but there's definitely a basis in all of it, you know that that has basically stayed the same. Yeah, did I tell you I like a musician with philosophy? <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it, man. Yeah, yeah, I like I like a person that performs, but also has a perspective on you know on what he, yeah. he or she is doing. Now, was there any uh, famous alumni that grew up with you in the Prospect, South Carolina? Oh yeah, actually, when I was in a uh, in high school, well, I went to Irmo Elementary, Irmo Middle, and Irmo High. Uh, my stepdad was a construction worker, so in the summers, wherever he was working, we would go spend a summer, you know, and uh, I spent my 10th grade in Southfield, Michigan, right outside of Detroit, and the whole entire year, and then we moved back to South Carolina, but some of the people that I went to school with at South at, uh, Irmo, um, well, Lisa Gibbons, of course, everybody knows her. She was a year older than me. Donna Rice was a year older. Um, we had, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Del Wilkes. He was the Patriot. Uh, he was a wrestler. Uh, and he was about two or three years younger than me. But we've always had people. And, you know, when you see people like that around you and, and they're achieving a certain level of fame, you you ask yourself, you know, why not me? So, um, you know, you go into things sometimes for one reason and then you find out you just like it so much that that's what you wanted to do anyway even if the fame's not there I enjoy the music so much I would still do it if no one knew who I was knew any of the bands I had ever worked with or anything I, I just love music you know so it's it's been what I've leaned on all my life um, I've had several jobs but didn't really you know I, I can say I didn't really like any of them uh, that's just in comparison to music there, there were jobs. I was a manager at McDonald's when I was 19 years old. <laughs> That's pretty and impressive, man, to be manager at 19. Yeah, when I, I was 18, because when I was 18, I worked at a McDonald's and I, I didn't have a 19-year-old manager, let me tell you. Yeah, yeah. well, I was lucky. I, I, I uh, started there when I was in the, uh, 11th grade. I worked there basically through the summer of my 11th grade and then through my senior year. When I started going to school at the University of South Carolina, I didn't really have time for work. So I, I, I just studied and did my classes and, you know, more involved in music. Let me, let me go back to McDonald's, man. Sure. You and I worked at McDonald's when we actually had to flip the burgers on the grill. Oh, yeah. 
And, oh, yeah. me, and, and I'm proud to say I was one of the few people that could flip five burgers at one time with that spatula. Right. Five of them at one time. And you know there what you that go. means to you, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. It, it means getting it done and uh, <laughs> passing it on to the people, man. Oh, That's yeah. exactly what it was about, you know. I, I ate so much, uh, so many quarter pounders. It wasn't even funny. I even made myself a half pound. They called it a half pounder. Oh, yeah. Great time, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah, well, anyway. it was uh, it was really cool that I had that uh, background also because part of that is uh, just that leadership quality of being a manager. Um, they pushed me into it. I didn't really want to do it. I, I wanted to be slack like everybody else, but uh, they pushed me into management and it taught me a lot. And uh, I think that some of those lessons are, 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 of course, still with me. You know, that's things you learn and things you do. And um you you when you learn things you find other ways to apply them to other parts of your life and um hopefully it's a benefit to you in, in all ways you know absolutely and i've seen you a number of times obviously as stated prior but i never knew this side about you because we never had a really chance to talk it's very superficial you know hey thank you for the performance and i always try to thank performers because you know sure. it's work and i let them know that i enjoy it and you know thank them for their performance but this is why we do this podcast, so we can get, actually get to know the person behind the trumpet or trombone or whatever it is, so yeah. that we can actually know that there's a human being back there with someone like you with a story. Sure, sure. And everybody has stories. Um, you know, it's just a matter of, uh, you know, being interesting enough or, or having an interest in what you do where it, it kind of leads over to other people picking up on it, and they want to know what's going on, too. You know, right. so it, it's kind of that's part of it as well. Good. And we will be right back after this important message. Hi, my beautiful people. I just wanted to let you know about a book that's helped me save a lot of money. The book is called How to Buy in Today's Digital World Tips for Those Who Want to Save a Buck. This book provides step by step tips on how to save money on your online purchases. It also instructs you on making smart financial decisions when buying groceries, booking flights and hotels, plus lots more. I hope you get a chance to get your copy. I think you'll love it. And I know you'll save some money. Available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. And we're back. Now let's get back to Lisa Gibbons. I, th- I always thought that when she came on Entertainment Tonight, she gave, uh, what's her, what was Mary Hart? Run for yeah. her money because I thought Lisa Gibbons had that nice elegance and she had that fresh look. And I yeah. thought she was a beautiful Southern belle. And she was like that all through school and uh, as long as many years that I've ever known her. And uh, she's, she's, from what I can tell, she's still the same. You know, is, she back in South, is she back in South yes, Carolina? She, yes, she is. She's back in the Columbia area. Um, and she um, has, ha, she's very involved in, uh, community uh things and uh you know she she's just a really really good person i'm glad that that i met her at a young age and uh am familiar with her and her career she's sure. a really good person do you ever keep in touch with her not a whole lot no um <laughs> falling out of touch through the years and she doesn't like beast music yeah well I, yeah I, she does actually but um like i say I, I was a little younger i was a year younger than her and and um you know wasn't in the big, big circles of her, but in the uh, bigger scheme of things, we, we cross paths a good bit. Right. Yeah. Here's the important question about Lisa. 
Does she shag? I believe Lisa can shag. Okay. I believe Lisa can shag. If you're around Columbia or you're around, uh, you know, the central part of the Carolinas, anywhere around there, it's not something you avoid, uh, because it's, it's everywhere you go. You have a little bit of beach music everywhere you go. And, uh, another thing people say beach music or shag music, a lot of things fit both, both terms, but they're not necessarily, uh, the same. You know, beach music is a little different than shag music. Um, but a lot of songs fit both, you know, both terms category wise. That's why I love the South. I mean, I like beach music. I like shagging. So I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm at home, man. Next time you guys play in Columbia, I'm going to have to show up down there to see if I uh, run into you. Lisa Gibbons. We'd love to have you with us <laughs> anytime. Now, Donna Rice, was she the actress? Uh, she was an actress. She, she, um, she had the nice landing meeting with, uh, she had a scandalous meeting with, uh, Gary Hart back there. Ah. Uh, you know, she was on the boat monkey business and all, and they made a big deal out of it and all, but, uh, She's a good girl too, man. Her, her whole family, she has a couple sisters and stuff and, uh, they're all good people. And, and like I say, I'm thankful for knowing them and, uh, you know, well, absolutely all part of it, you know, I, I don't doubt when you say they're good people. I don't doubt that at all. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And I hope they, I hope they continue to do well. Lisa yeah, and I are same age because, you know, we're saying, uh, you, one right. of the year of the dog. We can figure right. that out. <laughs> Yeah, you 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 graduated from high school in 1977, and then you yes. decided to make that big transition to college, and you ended up at the University of South Carolina. Yeah, I don't own any orange shirts. Um, all of my <laughs> all of my following has always been University of South Carolina. Um, my mom has as well. Um, both of my sisters somehow ended up as Clemson fans. And their kids, my nephew and both of my nieces, uh, attended Clemson. They've all graduated. Uh, one, one, my youngest niece is a senior this year at Clemson and I'm proud of all three of them. They've done really well. They all have really good jobs and they've, they've, uh, applied all their education and knowledge and all in, uh, in a building their self a really good life. And, uh, I'm happy for all of them. All three oh, yeah. Of them. I mean, you can't, you can't, uh, ignore Debo. Clemson, you know, they, right, right. They, I mean, he, yeah, I mean, you know, he, he uh, won some championships. I mean, Clemson's got some legacy. Now, um, yeah. did you enjoy your years at the University of South Carolina's Gamecock? Oh, yeah, I had a great time. I, I, I made friends there as well that uh, I was only there one year. Um, during that year was when I got involved with performing in a in a uh, band it was more a top 40 band than a beach music band we played a, a few beach tunes but it was mostly top 40 and funk and we had three horns and uh black lead singer and that was another thing too by being integrated there were certain places uh you could play if you were an all-black band or if you were an all-white band but they wouldn't really hire you if you were integrated so we lost out on some jobs we we picked up on other jobs and, um, it, it's nothing I would change, you know, um, it, the guys that we had in that band were all good musicians as well. And, uh, that was my first experience really playing and, and performing in, uh, you know, those type bands. And, um, it, it was just, like I say, every bit of the experience has led me to where I am now. Yeah. You know, it's funny because the Embers in the early fifties, when they, you know, yeah. during the fifties, they also had a, uh, a black uh, saxophone oh, yeah. player, and I asked, you know, 
Jackie Gore, when we did a podcast, you know, how he ended up with uh, this person. And Jackie yeah. said he was the best saxophone player they could find. Yeah. Oh, know? yeah. And But they had to go through these uh, racial issues, you know, yeah. uh, that type of thing, which is a shame. But they were adamant, you know, they they had the best saxophone player. And if they yeah. want if you want us to play, he, he comes along. And, and that's how, you know, right. in their own way, change and, you know, influence society. Right. And I guess right. you had this, you kind of went through that similar experience in a different it was way. Similar, it was similar with us. Um, we intentionally struck out to find uh, a black lead singer because we wanted to kind of stir it up that way. Um, there were, like I say, there are certain jobs we knew we wouldn't get to play anymore, but we also knew there were other jobs that we would pick up and be able to do. And the guy that we hired, uh, we went through a couple before, but the guy we ended up with for the most amount of time was a fellow that was a year younger than me in high school that went to the same high school at Irma. And um, he, he came in and he was kind of shy. He wasn't so much of a front man at the time, but he was an excellent singer. And uh, he, he grew into fronting and running the band. I mean, it was really good. And like I say, all of these experiences have all led to where I am and what I do now. You know, and I'm thankful for every bit of them, even the ones that were not necessarily the right move. I learned from them and, and, you know, it all uh, goes towards your experience and what you can do in the future. Right. You said earlier that you intentionally went out to find a black lead singer. Now, what was the yeah. motivation behind it? What's the rationale? Well, I, I, I kind of got ahead of myself a little bit there first. What happened to start with? was one day we were on the way to rehearsal and our bass player, we, we lived in Columbia, but we rehearsed the band that we were with was in Sumter, South Carolina. It was a band called Threshold. And um, so we drove about an hour every Tuesday and Thursday to rehearse. And then we would play on Fridays and Saturdays. And at the same time, I was a manager at McDonald's and the hours that I was putting oh. in, I wasn't getting any rest at all between <laughs> Between, you know, I'd usually, uh, I'd come in on Saturday night from working with the band and I would usually close on Sunday with at McDonald's, but then I would open on Monday. Oh my um, goodness. Because I had to open on Tuesdays because we rehearsed on Tuesday night. Then I would usually close on Wednesday and open again on Thursday because I had to rehearse Thursday night. Is that and, called, uh, is that called burning candles at both ends? It really was, but <laughs> like I say, it, it, when you do it at a young age like that, uh, it also shows you what you can and can't do and what you should and shouldn't do. So, uh, you know, it was it, what happened, though, was we were on the way to rehearsal one day, and uh, our bass player said, hey, man, they just came out with that new Fiero. Pull in this car lot. I want to look at one. And we pulled in there, and there was a black salesman working there named Graydon Jackson. And uh, we told Graydon, you know, we sitting there chatting with him and we told him we were on the way to rehearsal and he said well man I sing you know, can I ride down there with y'all and uh we were like sure so he went and asked his boss man he was like hey can I I'm gonna go ahead and leave and uh they said you might as well you can't sell a car anyway <laughs> he left and he rode with us down to Sumter and uh he sat in at rehearsal and sang a couple of songs and we hired him right on the spot you know that night and uh he worked with us for about a year and a half and um, when he left was when we were like, oh, well, we've got to hire another another black guy because that's part of our identity now. And um, we came across with Reggie Lorick, like I say, who was a guy I went to high school with. And 
he worked with that band. Even after I was gone, he was still there. I think he was there about six or seven years. That's great. And, yeah. And, and that was right at the early days, like when right about the time Prince came out and Reggie was basically Prince before we ever knew Prince. You know, he was that character. He had, you know, wow. He was, just really, yeah, that was pretty much him, you know, and, uh, like I say, it was, it was just really a good experience and I was glad to get to share it with a, uh, you know, former classmate. Absolutely. And thank God for Prince because man. Oh yeah. yeah. You know, Prince, Michael Jackson, uh, Madonna and Sharon Stone and I are the same age. Oh yeah. <laughs> there you we're go. all, we're all same yeah. age. Yeah. Uh, Unfortunately, Michael and uh, Prince had left us. I mean, way right, too long. Right. I mean, I thought Prince right. was. It's, anyway, that's, that's another whole story. And I, and I feel like uh, humanity lost something, you know, something yeah. there. The oh, time. yeah. I but saw I'm, Prince in concert back in like 1978. And, um, Purple Rain? Pardon me? Was that during the Purple Rain or before? Oh, before that. Okay. Yeah, before that. He had just had uh, one album out, I believe, at the time. It was an album called For You. And uh, he had one hit off of it, I believe, called Soft and Wet. And he did, when I went and saw him, he was the middle act in the night. Uh, there was an opening act and then then Prince and then Rick James was the headline. Uh, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Well, so I've seen him a couple times since then as well. I saw him just a year or two before he passed uh, in Columbia. It was a great show, really good. And, uh, you know, just, just like I say, that's another one of the uh, entertainers that I've seen live that I really appreciated his, his uh, contributions to music and everything. You know, it was really good. I hear you. I hear you. So the band you were playing at that time in college when you were also managed McDonald's was called The Threshold, right? Yeah, Threshold, right? Are they yeah. still in business? No, they're all, uh, some of the guys are still playing, but uh, the band is, as an organization, uh, that particular band doesn't exist. There's another band, a uh, guy named Jamie Lee Hart called me up back in the mid, mid to late 80s, I guess, maybe early 90s, uh, and wanted to know if they could use that name because he, is, he was using his own name, Jamie Lee Hart, but it just sounded country. And he had a hard time booking the band because everybody thought it was all country and he, they were really a versatile band. So of course I gave them, you know, my, my best wishes to use a name. It wasn't mine to give, but no, most of those guys were out of the business now. So, uh, right. it worked out okay for him and he's, they've been using that name for quite a while now. That validates that how good of a man you are. Now well, threshold does have a, a ring to it. So I yeah, we were uh, it, we kind of had like bumper stickers printed up. It was like threshold doorway to funk. You know, we, <laughs> uh, we were more a top forty funk band, and um, you know it was it was fun though. Like I say, it was it was my first experience in a performing band like that. Not and, and you know it, it's uh, what it is. It, it it just you know it's something you can build on. Absolutely. Now that that was what the band was in Sumter, uh, South Carolina, right? Right. Okay. Right. Now. Just for those history buffs, Sumter, South Carolina is the first place with a first shot of cannon that started the Civil War for all the Civil War buffs. Well, actually, that was uh, that was Fort Sumter, which is down in the Charleston area. But it was named after Thomas Sumter, who was the same city that the same town Sumter is named after Thomas Sumter. I stand but corrected. Actually, about an hour away. But yeah, this is still in the area and it's still in South Carolina. I, I stay corrected. Thank you, Jim. 
Yeah. Um, at that time, let's see, you started playing valve trombone. Is that right? Yes, yes. When I was in uh, Threshold, when they had first hired me, um, well, they were looking for a trumpet player. They had a trumpet player that was leaving. Uh, myself and another good friend of mine that I had known since high school and college, uh, we both got the call to audition for the job. And when we both realized that we were both driving down to Sumter to audition on different but we, we both want to just ride down together. We'll both audition. You can hire whichever one of us you want to, and the other one will be happy for them, you know? So they said, well, okay, if y'all are okay coming together, come on. Well, we went down and we auditioned, and they liked both of us. So they fired the sax player and hired us both. And so we had two trumpets and a trombone. And uh, about a year, year and a half later, the trombone player who was in high school at the time uh, graduated high school and he left and started in college so he could no longer work with the band. So um, that's the point where instead of hiring another horn player, we hired the black first black lead singer and I switched to valve trombone. And uh, so we have trumpet and valve trombone and a black lead singer to help us through our next, you know, round of uh, music there. <laughs> so, and it worked out, like I say, worked out great for all of us. And, um, you know, that's, okay. that's all, you know, just great. Okay. I two questions. So first <laughs> of all, first of all, what is a valve trombone? Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, a slide trombone is in the key of C, just like piano. Um, valve trombone, most trumpet players uh, back in the 30s, um, there were jazz bands and a lot of combos. Uh, instead of hiring a trombone player, one of the trumpet players would play valve trombone on songs that they needed. It's basically like a baritone horn or a euphonium, just shaped like trombone. And uh, it's in B-flat, like baritone horn and trumpet so it's easier for a trumpet player to switch read the same music and especially if you if you write it and read it in treble clef which is what we read um real trombone players slide trombone players usually read in bass clef so it's a little bit different notation of the music but a note they sound the same they're uh a note is a note you know so it's uh the same tone the same you know uh, pitch is just a different way of writing it for that musician to play it on their instrument. So does that, you still have that slot or do you use that like a trumpet, you push it down? Yeah, I have, I have valve. It's like trumpet. Um, okay. okay. I do have a, a super bone, which is a slide and a valve, uh, set up, but it's just really heavy. And I, I never really liked playing it because it was so awkward and heavy. It, it uh, having the slide and the valve. Um, it's kind of like a universal joint. It, it's kind of going in different directions. And it was uh, hard for me. And like I say, just heavy. I, I just, uh, I would love to be better on slide trombone and be able to play everything on slide. But I'm not at this point. And I just hate to carry two horns. So uh, I've stuck more with valve trombone. Okay. So it's not a new skill. It's an adjustment of the uh, trump, trumpet uh, skill. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's uh most trumpet players, if they can adjust to the difference in the mouthpiece, they can probably adjust to playing valve trombone. I got you. I got you. So uh, what happened after you left the uh, threshold and moved on? Okay. Well, I was in uh, threshold for like, I believe, four years, 77 to 81, end of 81. And uh, when I left threshold, um, I 
hooked up with a band from Columbia called Horizon. Uh, they were just a four-piece band, but they wanted to add one or two horn players, and they added me, and I worked with them for about, I guess, six or eight months, and we changed the name of the band to Main Event. Uh, we couldn't find a horn player that we really wanted to hire, but we found a really good keyboard player. So our keyboard player, who had played saxophone in high school, he switched over to saxophone, and we hired a keyboard player, and he was also a really good singer. Um, and with that band was when I first started got getting to sing uh, lead on songs and, you know, getting to kind of front and talk to the crowd and all that. And uh, that was a whole new deal for me and a new uh, a new uh, skill set that I needed to foster. And, and that came about, you know, and it's something I still learn, uh, still learning from it. And, you know, you certain things you can learn and you can uh, apply them all through your life, but still something else might happen and it changes for you. Makes it all good. You also play secondary keyboards? Yeah, I play some keys. Um, don't do so much with the entertainers because they don't need me to. And I think Earl would rather have me up front much as I can be up on the front line. Um, so that's where I tend to stay with, with the entertainers. But, yeah, I play some keys, do a little recording and stuff. And, you know, it's uh, nice to have that, that ability, too. It's not as well as I would like, not as good as I would like to be at it but I can't expect to be good if I don't put the time into it. So uh, that's where I stand on it. You know, I'll just do what I can and uh, contribute whatever I can contribute with whoever I've worked with. Um, some bands is more singing background or singing, you know, lead and other bands I've been with is more, you know, we just need you to play horn. So uh, it's just according to what it is. Um, I'm thankful for the balance that I get with the entertainers because I get to sing a good bit. And I also have a couple other good horn players I get to play horns with. And uh, it's always fun. And, and you feel accomplished when you, you know, get to do stuff that people respect and appreciate. It gives you a good feeling. And that's where, you know, where I am with a lot of that with the entertainers. I'm just happy to get to do it. And, uh, you know, just pays off in the long run. Were you self-taught in terms of the keyboard? Um, to, for the most part, yeah. Um, I took keyboard i took piano uh in college took group piano class and um you know the thing about music is no matter what instrument you play um what you learn on one definitely has some bearing on what you play and learn on the next one and um so notes and how they relate to each other is the same no matter what instrument you play but the technique is definitely different from keyboard to playing any horn or anything but uh but yeah it's it's all all part of it you know okay and we will be right back after this important message And we're back. Tell us something about uh, Wayne Jernigan and the Reflections Studio. Oh, man. Well, yeah, when we were in Threshold, um, we had gotten to the point where we wanted to do some recording, and we had about four or five songs we wanted to record. Um, and one of the guys was familiar with Wayne Jernigan because Wayne had 
lived in Sumter uh, years before. And uh, he had since moved to Nashville and was playing drums, touring with Ernest Cub. And uh, Wayne came to Charlotte and opened a studio there called Reflection Sound. And um, a lot of lot of big time bands eventually ended up recording there. REM recorded there a lot, a um, couple albums. Uh, Kenny Loggins did some stuff there. Um, there. Just a lot. James Brown, I believe, did a tune or two there. A lot of them were just in that area. And uh, so our guys that were familiar with Wayne, they wanted to go to Reflections and record. And we got there, and um, none of us had ever had any studio experience at the time. So that was a big shock and things you think you know and, um, well, let's do it like this. And they go, well, that's not how you do it. So you learn better. And um, that was just my first experience in the studio. We did four songs we ended up recording and we released two of them. The other two, uh, as far as I know, have remained in the can and never been released. Um, I'd love to have copies of myself, but I don't, I don't even have copies of those two. I have the first two that we put on 45 but uh, not the second two. So I, I need to get in touch with some of the guys that were in the band at the time and see if any of them still have a copy of those. I'd love to hear them and see how they actually sounded because uh, after 40-plus years, your memory's a little different from what may have actually been there. Absolutely. What was what you did? What was the most you got out of that recording experience? Well, the main thing that I got out of it was the word you just said, experience. Um, you go in and you do it, and uh, years later, other horn players that I knew, um, when they needed somebody, I might would get a call to go in and, and uh, be in the section with them. We we did several things. There was a band, uh, Duke Hall had a band called Living Color. Uh, Duke was, he was in a band years ago called The Masqueraders, which was a pretty popular band, R&B days back in the mid early to mid 70s and he had also played um with Isaac Hayes he was his music director for several years and uh Duke was just he was just a great guy and some of the guys that played in that band are still around and playing and he had three girls up front and uh he hired us to come in and, and record there was three of us that went in Richard Robertson on trumpet Barry Duke on saxophone and myself Richard ended up with the Breeze band Barry Duke now plays with uh, Catalina's, um, and myself on Val Trombone and, and Duke was, uh, just, he, he was such a knowledgeable, uh, person in the studio that he was like, okay, I need you to, we're going to play down three horns, play them down again. We're going to lay them down again. We're going to, it ended up, you know, being 12 horns on the track. And it sounded like just full, just really full, uh, arrangements and stuff and, and we did a whole album with him uh, i believe it was about seven or eight tunes i believe out of the 11 i believe had had horns on them and uh after that particular experience in the studio which was also at reflections um when we did that i was like oh man i love this this is what i want to do you know that was that was what really cemented the creative part of uh music is completely different from the performing part and but they go together you know but they are completely different and uh man i was just once i did that i was like oh this is a whole new thing i love this you know so and and i've i've, I've loved every time i've got i've uh, been able to go in the studio i've appreciated it and i love it i i have a great time every time in there oh yeah performing is one thing but 
you know, putting it together in terms of studio is a totally different uh, science, isn't it? Oh, yeah, exactly. It's completely different. Now, you stay with Threshold for about four years. And then with Main Event, you stayed about five years. Right, right. To me, that, uh, go ahead. I was just going to say, yeah, I've I've been lucky that most of the bands I've been with, I have managed to stay a good little while. Um, You know, and three of the bands I've been with have been within just a couple of months of 10 years. Yeah, so, um, yeah. That's what know, I'm getting, that, that's what I'm getting at. Um, you, you, we, we, I'm, we're only talking about Threshold and Main Event, not the yeah. other ones that, sure, that follow sure. subsequently. But even then, you showed longevity. And in bands, that says something about your character. So this is where I'm going with it. So what was it about Jim Stoudemire with a good, healthy German name that you tend to have longevity with these bands? Well, I think a part of it, uh, and it's only a part, but part of it is being likable and wanting the people that you're working with, they want to keep working with you. Um, and I have been really lucky with that. You know, um, I try to not ruffle too many feathers, but <laughs> I'll have to say that I'm very outspoken. If I have an opinion, I feel like I have to say it. I have to let people know where I stand. I may be 100% wrong, but I'm going to let you know what I think, you know. And uh, sometimes that's good. Sometimes it causes hard feelings. But, you know, we all tend to get over it. And uh, like I say, that's just part of how I am. I, I've never been able to not speak up if I have an opinion. I hear you. And that's necessary. Whether you're right or wrong, you got to get it out. That's for sure. Right, um, right. So by this point in main event, you've played three instruments more or less, which is the trumpet, the flugelhorn, and also uh, valve trombone, right? Right, right. There was actually uh, a few tunes we did that I played all three in the same song. Oh, um, my goodness. A couple, couple Chicago tunes we did. Hard, <laughs> uh, hard to say I'm sorry. I played all three at some point in the song, you know. and uh, Maybe, maybe but, Prince but, has nothing over you. No, no, he had a lot <laughs> over me, a lot. But... uh you know, uh, it, it, it's by having uh, ability to switch instruments, it also uh, keeps you a little more interested and, in, you know, you don't get bored. You definitely can't get bored when you have to pick up something else and perform on that also. For sure. You know, uh, now, you know what I mean when I say Prince has nothing over you, right? You know what Prince is? <laughs> Prince is, uh, he was an amazing musician. He was a... Uh, close to virtuoso on every instrument he picked up. And um, that's just, you know, he did it from an early age. He probably, you know, other than playing basketball, you know, he probably didn't <laughs> do much. You know, he was pretty much just music. Yeah, and, I, th- um, I think in one of his albums, he played all the instruments. Yeah, yeah, sure has, yeah. But, you know, hey, playing three, like you did on a Chicago song, that's, that's nothing to laugh at, Jeff. Well, it's a little tough uh, because of the difference in the size of the mouthpiece. But, um, you know, you get you, you get the uh, adjusting to it. And, uh, you know, if, if you're lucky, you can make it happen. And I, w- I was able to at the time. You know, it's, it, as much as I play on valve trombone now, and I play still play a little bit of trumpet, especially at home, just not so much performing, but I still play trumpet because that's my main instrument. Right. But uh, I don't have a flugelhorn anymore. And it's such a small mouthpiece. It's similar to French horn. So I would have a harder time switching between French horn uh, or between flugelhorn to trombone, valve trombone. But 
um, it's still there. You know, yeah. I mean, I would still love to do it. If I, if I had one, I would I'd be up there playing it some too. You know? We're going to pick up on the flugelhorn in a minute, but your mother's question back when you were young, how much did the uh, trumpet cost versus the saxophone? Yeah. And it costs $159. Have definitely, definitely paid off, I would say. Well, it, it, it has for me. I appreciate <laughs> it. Man. I'm glad yeah. that it worked out how it did. Yeah, yeah that's very true. Now, uh, flugelhorn, let's, let's pick that up because that's kind of an unusual. Most people are not familiar with flugelhorn. I learned about it the first time when Chuck Mangione came out with Feel right. So Good album, and then I realized it was something called flugelhorn, right? Right. But yeah. um, he also did one of my favorite albums called Children of Sanchez. You ever oh, heard of yeah. that? Oh, yeah, God. Exactly. Beautiful melodies. Yeah. And in that album, uh, there's not only they're not only flugelhorn but also French horn in some of those songs, and it's just yeah. absolutely beautiful, beautiful yeah. tunes. And you said you've also played French horn. Yeah, when I was in high school, uh, like I mentioned before, we moved to Southfield, Michigan, right outside of Detroit. When I was in the tenth grade, and when I got there, the band director there, we moved right before school started. Uh, it was around August, and. He said, well, Jim, I understand you're a good trumpet player, but we've already had auditions for seats and I don't, I don't need any trumpet players. Would you be willing to switch to French horn? And uh, I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll switch. If that'll get me in the band, yeah, I'll switch. So I switched to French horn. And to be honest with you, I loved it. It was, it was a challenge uh, because that was my first experience trying to switch to another brass instrument. Uh, mouthpiece was so much smaller and uh, just a, a deeper cup, but smaller. And, and it was a challenge. But uh, after I did that, when I got to University of South Carolina, basically the same thing happened there in marching band. They needed people to march uh, F-horn, mellophone type instruments. And I was like, yeah, sure, I'll switch. I'll do it. So, you know, and I've never minded. I mean, I, I don't care what instrument it is. I just love music. I love playing it, whatever it is. If it's uh you need me on piano on this one, I'll try to cover piano. You need it on trumpet, I'll try to do that. You know, I'll, I'll do whatever you need because that's part of making it fit and making it work. You know, you, so, you're, you're not only a good man, but you're also a versatile man, I have to well, say. It's helped pay off for me all through the years. Uh, versatility has definitely gotten me jobs where I may not have gotten it if I didn't have keyboard ability or uh, trumpet as well as valve trombone ability. So, you know, there, it, it's definitely helped me out. You're definitely man for all seasons. Here's a question. What's okay. the main difference between trumpet and flugelhorn besides the mouthpiece in terms of the tonal quality? Well, trumpet is uh, just like it, they're both brass instruments. Um, flugelhorn is a little more mellow. Um, it's like you said, uh, Chet Mangione is probably the, the most famous flugelhorn player uh to the general public of, of course ever and um his sound is just a, a more mellow version of trumpet it doesn't have the uh bright brashness that some people would say trumpet has it's more of a uh it's kind of like a french horn version of a trumpet you know it's a it's a mellow instrument and it's a beautiful horn um beautiful it, sound maybe that's why i like it i also yeah. like chuck mangione's maui wowie Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. He had several albums, uh, Bella Via, uh, uh, Main Squeeze, Fun and Games. They, they were all good. And uh, I, I, 
I probably had all of those on vinyl back when oh, they yeah. came out. I was, he, was one of the, he was one of the artists that as soon as he had something come out, we were, all of us musicians would be right down at record bar, you know, buying the, buying the album. You know, so. hey, next time you play the flugelhorn, let me know. I want to be there, but I'll try to do that. <laughs> now, back, when you were back, uh, back in 82, when you were with Main Event, uh, you guys recorded Summer Serenade, right? Yeah, yeah. At the uh, Strawberry Skies or Strawberry Jam uh, studio in Columbia? Yes, yes. I'm not sure if that studio is still there, but mm-hmm. um, at the time when we did that, uh, one, of a, one of the guys in the band that previously I'd mentioned, the uh, keyboard player that switched his saxophone, uh, his name was Donnie Smith, and he wrote this tune, Summer Serenade. It uh, didn't get a whole lot of airplay because we weren't really um, – known so much on the beach music circuit at the time uh it was still more of an extension of top 40 pretty much uh like i said we did a, several beach tunes and years later we recorded a few more beach tunes in that band but um at the time it was uh our first foray into recording with that band and um you know it was just uh another experience and uh, just one more thing that i'm thankful i got to do you know and the reason I brought that up was because you started singing leads in that recording at that time. Yeah, when I was in uh, main event, um, they they pushed me to sing a little bit, you know, and I was really thankful to get to try it. It was a new thing. And uh, going back, I probably wasn't very good at it, you know, um, but they stuck with me and let me keep going at it till I improved. And, um, you know, it, it we've, we were really lucky. We had a lot of good singers in that band to start with. Um, the first band I was in, we didn't really have many singers, uh, threshold, but with main event, everybody in the band sang lead and, uh, everybody was really good. I was, I was the worst of them, you know, but they let me go at it and let me do sing the easy stuff I could do. And, uh, it got me experience to, you know, where I could, uh, you know, add in the next time and next time around. I could build on that. And we will be right back after this important message. And we're back. I mean, you obviously have gotten so much better. You sound very good at the present time. But Thank you. When you're selecting songs for your uh, repertoire, do you decide based on the range of the songs that you hear on the radio, basically, or the songs that you particularly like and you just try to sing it? Where's the priority there? Well, sometimes it, it's a little bit of both. Um, to start with, I don't really want to sing something that I don't really like because we may do it for a while and uh, I want to enjoy the stuff I do. So usually the stuff that I bring up that whether it's that I want to sing it or whether I bring it up that I think somebody else in the band may do a good job of it and I bring it up for them to do. uh, Whenever we do that, that's usually how it kind of goes. Um, You kind of, as you go along, you learn what you can do good and what you need to maybe stay away from a little more. And um, it, when I first started, I just tried to do everything, you know, and not many people can do that. And I definitely couldn't either. Um, 
but I was really lucky that, like I say, main event had a lot of lead singers in the band. Um, and it kind of got to be where if I brought up a song that I wanted to do, uh, it might, I might get the response. Oh no, Bobby's going to sing that, you know, because he was a much better singer. I could understand that. That wasn't a problem at all. And I understood it, but you gradually start going, well, what am I going to have to do to get to sing a song? So you would try to, I ended up trying to find songs that were either too high for somebody else to sing or too low for somebody else to sing. And so by doing that, I kind of, uh, improved on my range to where I sing falsetto stuff. I sing bass stuff. You know, my natural voice is probably kind of a baritone voice, uh, Lou Rawls, you know, that kind of range. But uh, I'm thankful for all that I get to do. And, and I'm thankful for the ones that I can do well. I'm, I'm thankful to get to do them. Yeah. And I hear the falsetto. We'll talk about that more. I hear your baritone and I also hear your bass uh, when you yeah. do perform and they all sound very legit. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Now, back in the early 80s, uh, main event, like other bands, would work Monday through Saturday, pretty much, for three weeks in a row. Well, you know, back in those days, there was a, a club on every corner. There was a nightclub, uh, bars, everywhere. Um, and about everywhere you see a Starbucks now, there probably used to be a club we played at. You know, And uh, we did mostly work... Uh, a lot of it was hotel lounges. We would work two or three weeks in the same place. And then all the guys in the band had girlfriends or wives, uh, most of them wives. And that allowed us to, that other week, that fourth week of the month, we would basically just book a weekend. So we would have some time at home with our families and stuff. And um, that got to be a pretty good balance at that time. It was a lot of work and a lot of traveling and a lot of time being gone. Um, but you know, that's how you get experience. You don't get experience by not going and working. So uh, that that kind of was a, a way that it worked back then in the 80s. There's not as much of that now as far as the uh, week jobs. We don't really have those as much anymore. There's, there's still some hotel lounges that book like that, but not near as many as there was back in the 80s. Do you miss that? I miss it in a, in a lot of ways. I do miss it. Uh, but the older we get and the more we have a life at home, you miss that too if you're not home. So it's it's really a, a whole process of striking a balance to make it work for you. Yeah, I understand that. Your priorities do change over sure. the years. Now, at that time, there was also something called the floor show, which every yeah. band pretty much did. Why don't you tell us what a floor show was? Well, basically, the way most of the bands uh, – ran their floor show sets where you would basically in a, in a four hour night, uh, you would have two dance sets and one floor show set. The floor show set was kind of a, a time where, uh, the people could just sit back and drink and, you know, enjoy the, the visual and the, uh, the music, whatever, whatever you did in your show. Um, you wanted to always have stuff that was visual. Uh, it was a lot of costume changes. Um, you know, uh, just that type thing where, you know, you keep the people entertained, even though they're not up dancing. Uh, most of the bands back then, uh, when they did the floor show, they almost kind of, uh, enforced a no dancing rule. And so that was kind of counterproductive to some of what we do, because what we do is try to get people involved. 
And so when you did the floor show, it was kind of y'all just sit back and enjoy yourself and let us do this for you. And there's good and bad in it. And years later, as bands continue to do floor show acts, um, they might, instead of putting it all together in a 45 minute or an hour show, they might just mix them in during the regular night. And you don't tell people sit down, you just enjoy yourself however you can. But here's a little something extra for you. And uh, that's kind of how those floor show acts have kind of, uh, you know, adapted over the years. Um, they're a little more like that now than they were then. And there's still bands that when you see them, it is a show. You know, it's, it's uh, you can enjoy the music, but, you know, you don't want to take your eyes off of what's going on up there, you know, because that's part of it, too. So uh, we tend to try to, you know, you want to have dance steps. You want to do stuff to keep people involved with what you're doing on stage. There's not as much of the uh, floor show type bands out here anymore. Uh, too much Sylvia still does some floor show acts like that. They kind of mix them all in during the night and they do a great job. And when I go see them, I'm like, man, that's like what we used to do, man. That's great. I'm glad they still do it, you know, but uh like, and they're a very good band too. They're just musically, they're good. And, and, um, just that, that floor show stuff is just a little bit different from what most people experience nowadays. Oh, yeah. Uh, I saw, uh, to my Sylvia maybe three weeks ago. Yeah. And for four piece band, they sound pretty full. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And they're very good band. Very yeah, good music. Good vocals. Uh, I enjoy them. I want to go see them again. You know, the, but the floor show that they do is nothing like what used to be done in the 80s. It's very right. mild. Uh, and I think part of it is that society has changed. Right. Whether for the good or not, you know, I'm not a sociologist. I'm going to leave it at that. But at that time, to give the uh, listeners an idea, when you guys did the floor show, when all the bands did floor shows, when they played Motown, for example, you guys would have a change of costume and you would wear Afro and, you know, you, you, like when you yeah. do Michael Jack, the Jackson five, you were kind of dressed like the Jacksons and, and perform their sure. songs. Yeah. And yeah. I think some of that was misunderstood, you know, uh, thinking that it was kind of insulting to them or something. But actually, when you guys hit the floor show, it was actually to honor those artists and their songs by performing them. Exactly. Yeah. It, and it all is, that's what it's always about. Um, you know, there's, there's good and bad music, but, why would you pick the bad stuff? I mean, you want to present the good stuff to people and present it your way. And like I say, with all that stuff back in the uh, floor show eras, um, you know, it was full outfits, full costumes. I, I, you know, I did Garth Brooks in one of the bands. I had the same <laughs> shirt and the same hat. You know, I mean, I, I went to a, a cowboy shop in Charlotte and bought that. Yeah, I want Garth Brooks hat. They brought it out for me, uh, pressed it so it would be exactly like his, you know, and you know, it, it's just part of it. I had the yeah. cow shirt. It's like a gold and black cow shirt. You know? Yeah, it was fun. It's yeah. fun to watch. Yeah. And you guys got into it. And like, for example, when you did a, your floor show, you were Sly Stone, right? Oh, yeah. 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 And, you know, I, and also when you did Otis Day, we, and the, I guess yeah. Otis Day and the Nights. Right. Uh, from right. the movie Animal House, right? Yeah, that was the end of, uh, that was basically our uh, finale on our floor yeah. show. Yeah. What are you going to do after shout, man? That's pretty much <laughs> it. Man. You got to just take a break after that one. You know. You also the Blues Brothers. Which one were you? 
I'm, I'm gonna say Dan Aykroyd. Which did you do the Dan Aykroyd part? No, actually, the I was more the Elwood guy. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, uh, well, uh, I guess Dan was Elwood. I was Jake, I guess. Um, okay. Yeah, uh, it was just mainly because I could jump over the rail and you know do the dance steps and stuff. And uh, you know, it, it we we didn't really call each other one or the other, but uh, almost every band back in that time had blues brothers in their floor show. Yep. That was yep. like a popular act. Uh, yep. You know, every band did it. Catalina's did it. Amber's yep. did it. Yep. Uh, the Fabulous Days. Yep. I mean, yep. all the bands did blues brothers yep. because that music was so popular. Yep. And when that movie came out, it hit, you know, it was just a big, big thing. And uh, it, it was one, it was almost one of those that you're going to get, you're going to do it and you're going to go over. If you, can, <laughs> if you can do it any type of well at all, it's going to sell because the music is so good. Absolutely. You know? And also you, you did Tony Orlando and Dawn's. You're one of the girls, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sure did. We had, now, uh, how the hell did you do that when you're six foot two? Yeah. Well, we, we had dresses <laughs> made and, uh, we had some sequin dresses made and they, uh, basically with four show stuff, you, you have to change quick. So most of what we did was Velcro, uh, you know, was attached by Velcro. We did, when we did the Beatles, which uh, I wasn't one of the Beatles, but when we did the Beatles, in that band I wasn't, but when we did the Beatles, um, the the outfit was like a Nehru jacket with the shirt and it was Velcroed up the back. So the guitar player and the, and the uh, bass player could help each other get in theirs real quick. The keyboard player and the drummer helped theirs, each other. And the two of, you know, the four of them were ready to go quick. You know, and uh, that's how all the costumes are basically done like that. You try to fix them the best you can that you can get in and out of them quick. And you better be grateful that there was no such thing as Instagram or Facebook. Otherwise, they'd be back to haunt you today. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, some of the old pictures and stuff that were on there have been put on Facebook and, and stuff in the in the past. Uh, every once in a while, one of those people, one of those pictures will pop up and somebody will send me a message. Hey man, is this you? <laughs> yeah, sure is. <laughs> you know, again, again, the whole thing was done, you know, out of respect and out of appreciation of the artists that you guys were imitating, but somewhere along the line, it got misconstrued and, and then had, you know, society had to destroy that. So now we don't have that anymore. And we get a very watered down, you know, version of it and just kind of, right. I feel like something was lost because when you did the flourish, it was sort of like a mini Vegas type of thing to give your yeah. audiences a time to just relax and just soak it all in with their gin and tonic. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Sure. It was, a, it was a, just a 45 minute to an hour set where you go, man, y'all been dancing hard. You're, you're sweating, you're tired. Just sit back for just a little bit and enjoy the show, you know, and, you know, maybe have an extra drink. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. That was kind of what it was, you know. You, did you hear about the one about Jackie Gore when he was with the Embers? What's that? When they did their, their uh, floor show, he played the character of Raymond Massey. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the construction yeah. worker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tell yeah, us about was, it, man. <laughs> he was great at that, man. It was just such a, I mean, there's been all kind of bands from his act that tried to come up with a character like that. You know, just because it was so entertaining and so good, but not everybody's Jackie Gore. So they couldn't really, you know, do it that well, anything like that. Um, there was one guy, he's passed away now, but he was an excellent musician, uh, Ronnie Giddings. He played years ago with the Spontanes. He played with Fantastic Shakers for years of Catalinas. 
and he did a, a basically a similar type act. It was basically a drunk Waffle House clerk, uh, cook. I mean, a drunk Waffle House cook. And, uh, Ronnie didn't even drink. I mean, at the time he wasn't even drinking, but he did such a great act. Um, and sometimes it would be a Waffle House cook. Sometimes he would come in, uh, wearing a pair of overalls and he would be a maintenance worker pushing a lawnmower with the lawnmower running. You know, he'd crank <laughs> up a lawnmower and come running in the club pushing the lawnmower. He was, he was a really good, uh, entertainer and we all miss him. He was a really good guy too. Absolutely. Yeah, just so the people understand, Jackie Gore, of the former of, of the Embers, he had a character named Raymond Masson. And he would come right. on stage, and, he, and Jackie was the lead singer. He would come on stage dressed as a construction worker with a hard hat. Right. And he would sing, um, I Gotta Be Me. Remember the right. same Davis Jr.'s old song, I Gotta right. Be Me? And then he would start taking off his shirt and all, all this it, slowly, slowly. And then he would, by the time the song would end, he would be, like, he would be a transvestite. <laughs> <laughs> and at one place, I think it was somewhere west of, uh, I don't know, near near the mountains, he got arrested by a police. It's a funny story. Because he thought that the police officer, the deputy thought that he uh, that this uh, transvestite was touching uh, the deputy. He was so he wanted to charge him with uh, assault, assaulting a, a law enforcement officer. <laughs> Anyway, yeah. those are the good old days. I think uh, something uh, we we lost something somewhere along the way. All right, you spent yeah. five years with that band, and you obviously picked up a lot of uh, valuable experience. And during that yeah. time, you also opened for certain people, right? So tell us who they were. Yeah, well, um, we we actually backed. Um, we opened for for uh, Jerry Butler a couple times. Uh, a lot of it was usually a lot of bands like that, the R and B type bands. Uh, Lee, we Green, actually backed, Lee Greenwood. Lee Greenwood, yeah. Uh, a lot of people didn't even know who Lee Greenwood was at the time. And uh he had just kind of hit uh he had a couple of hits out, but we played with him in Columbus, Georgia. And um like I say, it was it was that was one of my first experiences opening for somebody like that. And um it was it like I say, just all these experiences just add up to uh you know, bringing you more of what you do and and you know, make you realize why you do it. And, uh, well, with, with, uh, Major Lance, we backed him. We actually played behind him in Sumter, South Carolina at a club. And, um, we had to learn about, I think we learned about five or six of his tunes and about five or six other, uh, standard R and B tunes that he said, Oh yeah, I'll sing that. So we, we got through a set with him and, uh, you know, it's, it, it, it's, something that's continued with other bands I've been with as well. We've, we've always managed to uh, back other bands, other uh, entertainers or either open for other bands like that. This it's another plus, you know, it's just another experience that I'm thankful for. So when you're, when you're back in a band, do they give you the music for you guys to learn? Sometimes they do. Um, um, at one point in one of the bands I was in, we backed the Crystals. And they had charts for every song they wanted us to play. The problem was they had been marked over so much that they weren't the same for, for my part wasn't the same. My, my song, my uh, sheet music didn't match what the bass player had. And so, uh, it was kind of a nightmare, but we made it all work. And, uh, other ones like Major Lance, he just gave us a list of stuff that he wanted us to do. 
And so we just bought the 45s and picked them up and learned them and, you know, kind of went from there. Uh, and we did the same thing with uh, Percy Sledge and later bands I was in. I got to back Percy a couple times, and it was the same kind of thing. Yeah, so basically, uh, you either learn it by ear, or did you, I guess you have to also learn yeah. to read music as well, right? Well, it helps if you can read music, because uh, that gets you all on the same page, so to speak. But um, a lot of times, these guys would give you the music, but then they didn't necessarily do it that way anyway. Because <laughs> they did it their way, and you got you have to adjust and follow what they're going to do. And, you know, when you see him hold up his hand, it doesn't matter where you are in the music. You're going to the end. Uh, we're going to the end now, you know. Okay. So, you know, it, it's all, uh, you get used to it by, like I say, by doing that. Um, it, it's another another thing that you learn how to adjust to. And, and, just, and that's what a lot of music is. It's uh, reacting and adjusting to what else is happening around you. I mean, you um, really have to be a true musician to be able to do that, though. So, kudos. Uh, it is. Thank you. This is the end of part one. We thank you for listening and invite you to tune in the next time for part two. Meanwhile, join our growing family by subscribing to our podcast.